I can't think of a better way to start the new year than surrounded by friends, talking about something fun, and ultimately even more so important, and then sharing it out. At what age did you start investing? There's no right answer. We all have a different story to tell, but at what age did you start investing? And no matter what age you did, you now have an opportunity to start someone else out even earlier and even better. But how? Do you feel equipped? Well, that's what we're here for. Get your kids started investing to start the new year with Rule Breaker Investing. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. Happy New Year! What a delight it is to have you join us now. This is the second straight podcast. This is a new record for this podcast where we've had no sponsor. And I guess the implication is sponsors aren't showing up because they just don't. People think you won't listen to podcasts on Christmas Day or New Year's Day, or it doesn't make any sense. But I'm happy to say it's made sense to you. And because we're doing this podcast in part, I hope timelessly. I hope many of us are hearing this podcast, even though it happened to be New Year's for 2019. I hope that you'll enjoy this conversation that I'm having, as I mentioned earlier, on a topic most important to us, with a fun group of fools uh, to help you get somebody else started, somebody younger than you started investing. And I have a friend named Vinard right here in Washington, D.C., and Vinard came up to me and he said, hey, David, could you do a podcast on this topic? And his son is a Marine. So that's not a newborn. We're going to talk about newborns, but we're also going to talk about college grads. We're going to talk talk about people who are younger than us and helping trigger that person, catalyze, switch them on, get them started investing. So that's really our focus. And I do want to throw out some credit to one of our listeners because Robert Trapp on our mailbag two months ago said, I now have eight grandchildren, Mr. Trapp wrote, ranging in age from one to 13 years old. I want to begin teaching them about investing. I'm thinking that a good way to begin is set up a custodial account with the brokerage firm I use, which happens to be Schwab. What do you and your panel of fools think? Do I make all of their individual stock holdings identical? Shall I work with the older children to help them choose their own portfolios? How do I give stocks to them? What are the tax implications of custodial accounts for minor children? Thank you for all you do in the name of Foolish Learning, signed Robert Trapp. And I told Mr. Trapp a couple of months ago, darn it, we're going to start off the year 2019 timelessly going forward with answers to those questions. Now, whether we hit each of those, Mr. Trapp and my good friend Vinard, whether we hit everything that you're hoping us to talk about, we probably won't. But I'll say this, I've brought a wonderful group of fools. They'll introduce themselves as they enter into the conversation to talk about getting started investing. So yeah, that's the purpose of this podcast. And really, in large part, that's the purpose of The Motley Fool now in its 26th year of operations. So yeah, that's why we're doing this. And I, before I introduce my first guest, Jason Moser, I want to mention that if you enjoy this podcast, Getting Others Started Investing, you might want to listen back to Get Started Investing for yourself, because we did a two-part series toward the end of last year. The first one was on October 3rd of 2018, so point your iTunes player, Google Play, Spotify, however you like to listen to Motley Fool podcasts at Rule Breaker Investing the first week of October, and then the first week of November which was part two, where we answered your questions aroused by the first podcast. So that's a little two-part series for getting anybody started investing. But the real purpose of this conversation, Jason, is to get people younger than we are, not just us, but others started investing. And I want to start with you, 
because you've often talked about how you got your daughter started investing. So let me start because I'm hoping for a little bit of a chronological swing to this conversation. So we're going to start with getting young, like really young, like maybe newborn started, and then get through to the Marine Corps grads of our lives. But Jason, did you start with your daughters at age zero, one, twelve? How did it start? Uh, yeah, I mean that's I, I like that idea. Let's start with a chronology and um, nowhere, no better place than than when they're brand new to life, right? And, and I still remember, uh, you know, pretty well when my kids were born. I have two daughters, twelve and thirteen years old now, almost fourteen, I guess, at this point. Um, and and I guess really it all goes back to what the ultimate goal is because I think even if we're talking about investing for kids, there's still a goal in mind. So whatever your goal is, if we're adults and we're investing, typically that's because we want to fund our retirement. What's the goal for the child? And with a newborn, uh, right when they were born, my wife and I were, were both on board with making sure we had some way to get some money saved up for them for college down the road. I mean, understanding that uh, that's not getting any cheaper and, and also understanding that time really is the investor's biggest friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, our goal in, in that regard was to get a, a nest egg started for higher education when that time comes. And so, when they were born, I mean, like right when they were born, David, I, mean, I think we got their social security numbers like the next day, and I opened up 529 accounts uh, for, for both girls immediately. And we funded those accounts with just an, an initial $500, um, and then set it up so that every month, it just there's an automatic deposit, a very minimal automatic deposit that goes into each 529. It's it's not something that we even really feel. Uh, you know, I know that we're very lucky that my wife and I both have jobs that uh, can help fund that. But but the point is that for every month of their of their lives to this point and in, in until they reach college age, they're going to have a little monthly deposit that goes in that at 529. And in what we've seen over the course of time, 12 and 13 years. It's pretty amazing what just a little bit every month can do. And we talk a lot about that magic of compound annual growth. And it, it really is magic. And the longer it goes, the more magical it seems. So, for our purposes there with newborns, the goal was to fund higher education. That's how we got them started. That's great, Jason. And so, that goal orientation and really starting as early as possible, you got a great head start on their behalf. Uh, when they were born. It's interesting because we all have probably different approaches, and that's part of what we're going to reflect. We're going to reflect some motley to what we're doing. But for us, also with kids, um, I just started them with just custodial accounts. So, it wasn't toward 529. And I have to say, in some sloppy ways, I'm sorry to say, we never really did 529 plans in our family. Both of these are definitely ways to save for kids and get them started investing. And I know a lot of your journey and your story, Jason, we'll get there a little later, are what to say to kids once they're of age, like the conversations we have, the culture that we create around our families. But Naima Barnes, you're part of our conversation today. You have a deeper understanding of these kinds of like types of accounts. Um, and some of the reasons behind them. And so I wanted to turn to you next and just ask you to introduce yourself briefly. And then let's get some of the nuts and bolts there of how to actually get kids started investing when they're too young to even know themselves. Sure. Uh, my name is Naima. I work in Motley Fool Wealth Management as a pair planner. Um, so there's two main types of custodial accounts. Both came from different laws that were put in place a while ago. Uh, one is the Uniform Transfer to Minors Act. 
also known as the UTMA. The other is the Uniform Gift to Minors Act, also known as the UGMA. So I think I did a UGMA, an UGMA. I think I did. <laughs> but this is sometimes people think that, well, surely David Gardner or Tom Gardner, the co founders of Molly Fool, would know everything about money. But the truth is, I hope Tom and I are constantly letting people know we don't know that much. And so this is something where I didn't even realize that what's the difference between those two things? So the difference is, is that with one of the accounts, I think it is the. Um, you, the UGMA, if I'm not mistaken, you can uh, put real estate in there. I'm looking at Bro. Wow. To, yeah, to confirm. <laughs> yes. And so this is Bro, Robert Bro Camp of the Motley Fool Answers podcast and the Rural Retirement and Total Income Services. And it really depends on which state you're in, which determines which one you will be opening up. So a lot of custodial. The basic point is that miners can't own investment accounts. So it has to be a custodial account with an adult name on it. And that your state will determine which one you open up. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, grandma or grandpa or a guardian or a parent, they're going to open that account for their newborn or anyone up to the age of majority, which depending on your state could be 18, 19, or um, if they're in college, 24. Uh, and then they'll be able to purchase, if they please, individual stock or real estate inside uh, stock bonds uh, inside of those accounts or real estate. Instead of with a 529, normally you're utilizing funds uh, that the 529 custodian is going to say is available. So 529 plans are directed toward an educational outcome, as Jason was mentioning earlier. Um, so we covered UTMA, UGMA. Uh, 529. Are there other accounts that we should be thinking about as parents or mentors, or does that pretty much capture it? Those are the big ones. There's also uh, the ability that a parent can open a Roth IRA for a child, but that is if you have earned income. So if your child has a summer job and they make the IRA limit amount, which um, will vary on the year, then they can contribute that much for them. Or you can also use a Coverdell um, account, which with those, usually the, the maximum that you can contribute is lower than that of a 529 or a uh, UGMA, UTMA, which for those is going to be the gifting maximum, which varies upon the year. So, Naima, I'm hearing you describe these different accounts, and I'm trying to put myself constantly in the seat of our listener. Uh, so. We've done a good job kind of talking about the possibilities. How do you actually open one of these? Sure. Yeah, so there's a bunch of different custodians that you can use. Um, You can go to places like Charles Schwab or Fidelity. Um, You can also look at uh, online brokers that are strictly online, like E-Trade and Ally Invest. Um, Unfortunately, uh, Robinhood is really popular, but Robinhood at this time doesn't offer accounts that are custodial accounts. They only offer um, individual accounts. Okay. Uh, but I did find out that Stash, which is another app that you can use, they do offer custodial accounts. So that's really cool where you can um, begin saving for a child on their online platform. As you listen to all this, you might be wondering, like, which one do you choose? And I would say it starts a little bit with What's the goal of the money, right? So if you want to teach your kid about investing while also saving for college, 529, the Coverdell, are the way to go. Big difference there is the Coverdell, you can buy individual stocks, 529, you can't. So I think that would influence it. But if you are trying to get your kids started with a nest egg that they can control for years and years, decades and decades, then I would look at the custodial 
or the Roth. Roth is better if they have the earned income. We opened the Roth for my teenage son after he started lifeguarding. But if they don't have earned income, you got to go with the custodial. The only main fault, the drawback to that is, once they become the reach the age of majority, it's their money. Yeah, so, so they can go out and buy a sports car. If they they want can do whatever they want with it. <laughs> and from a financial aid perspective, if you're looking that far down the road for college, having money in a covered L or a 529 is better than in the custodial account. So if that's something you want to factor into that as well. But if you're looking to really get the kids started and have them take over the portfolio someday, I would say the custodial or the IRA is the way to go. So that's really interesting. And each of us can think back to when we did start investing, as I asked at the top of the show, some of us as adults, some of us as kids. Um, For me, I'll say that I had a dad who did the Uniform Gift to Minors Act account. So um, we were trusted with the money that was invested for us. And and I'm really grateful because in some ways it became the seed capital for the Motley Fool. So I'm deeply grateful for that. I will say I did buy a sports car. Um, sports cars were cheaper back then, you know. Sports cars were much cheaper, and also a humble brag here: I had a full scholarship to college, so my dad was kind of happy and was probably okay with me spending some of that on a car. But but it, it's true. Um, so before we move into kind of the middle years where we're talking to kids where they can understand and respond back, and what should we say and how do we train them? You do, just to double underline, you do want to think about, play it forward, what's the right cultural answer, not for our culture, but for your culture, your family. So for our family, um, we, we raise them in an environment of trust, which may sound very wholesome. It hurts a lot sometimes. It's not always right for everybody. Um, it was right for me as a kid, and then it's what I did for our kids. So I, I also had them with the UGMA account, which we could add to, and it could be stocks and all the way through. But but the wills and estates guy that we consulted with 10 years ago was saying things like, I'd never do that. I don't trust my kids with anything. <laughs> so, and, and indeed, he was probably right. right? So, so we all have sort of a different culture that we come from. Some overlap. but So there's a philosophical question. And before we proceed forward into sort of kids who are 8 or 10 or 12. Does anybody want to add anything along those lines? Um, have we really tied a bow on starting newborns? I, I sure ha- hope we have for our listeners, but anything more to add before we, we advance? Just a note, um, it doesn't have to be a parent that starts a 529 account. Uh, for example, I started one for my brother because I wanted to make sure that when he went to college, if he needed a new laptop or you know some books, that he would be able to have that. That is awesome. That is very fun. I needed you as my sister. I mean, I, I love my sister, but that's really loving. Now, don't get me wrong. I have two other sisters, so okay, okay. <laughs> they probably will hear this and be not too happy. But well, just don't tell them that you were on this school breaker investing. Just don't tell them. They also did get scholarships, so. <laughs> That's pretty great. Right. Good for them. Thank you. All right. So we've talked about types of accounts. We've talked about it's as simple as, well, in Mr. Trapp's case, the man who triggered this podcast, hey, he's got Schwab, so he can just start talking about with his Schwab representative, and, and surely that will work. But maybe a question to the to the group here about amounts. Like, um, can you add on a regular basis? How much should you start it with? Any thoughts from the panel about that? I'll go back to just the word that I used from the very start in the goal. We were not trying to accomplish, in setting up these 529s, we were not trying to accomplish being able to pay 
for everything. Uh, my wife and I would like our kids to have some skin in the game and figure out a way to get grants or scholarships or work during school. Scrap. So, yeah, we want them to have a little ownership there. So, the goal wasn't really to fund their entire education. So, with that in mind, I mean, $500 just seemed like a reasonable number to get the account open. I don't know why. I just kind of picked it arbitrarily. Um, and then from there, I think that you can set that monthly deposit up to really whatever you're comfortable with, whether it's $10 or $100. I think the key is to just get it going immediately. As we said before, that 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 compound annual growth is just the most phenomenal thing. And the longer you have a chance to let it work for you, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, so uh, I'm Daniel. I'm a financial planner with Motley Fool Wealth Management. Uh, we just had a newborn. She's six month old. Congratulations! Congratulations. Wow. Nice. And uh, we also started with the 529, and uh, figured that was the best way to go considering our goals. And we front loaded it a little bit because we're in a position to do that now, and don't know what the future holds for us. And to take advantage of that compounding, uh, we figured we'd put as much as we could in today. Uh, knowing that we may have conflicting goals in the future and, and feeling like we took care of that to start with. And I'm glad you just jumped in, Daniel. So, for our listeners, that's, this is our full panel now. Just to make sure it's clear, Naima Barnes, Daniel Maseka, Robert Brokamp, and Jason Moser joining with me. So, we have five voices that you're hearing from, five different perspectives. And, Daniel, congratulations. I Thank you. Did, did you get your a little bit of paternity leave uh, I got from the Motley plenty Fool? of paternity leave. I'm glad to hear <laughs> More that. More than I yeah. wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a really important thing that we've we've figured out a few years ago at the Motley Fool. Mm-hmm. We weren't doing that 25 years ago, but we've definitely been doing that for some years. Robert, you and I, old hands here. At the I know. Do you remember your paternity leave? I did not get I paternity. don't either. But we have such a flexible workplace, it worked out okay. <laughs> well, I keep wanting to jump it forward and talk about how to talk with kids about stocks. And we're, we are going to get there. But going back to one more thought here, which is about sort of the goal, as Jason started us off with, I, I do remember about the Uniform Gift to Minors Act account, the custodial account I was given, that my father, in this case, decided what age I would get that. And that's a choice, too. And that's a little bit more about philosophy. And I'll just talk briefly about how I changed it up for my kids. So I, I received my account at the age of 18. And uh, I. I'm glad that I got started that young. It was responsibility for me. It wasn't enough that I was going to be retiring, um, but it was enough that I didn't have to run run out and get a job right after college. And I was managing that account during my college days. It was arguably a little distracting. I was not a trader by any uh, stretch of the imagination, so it's not like I was highly distracted. But but as I thought about what I wanted to do for my kids, I decided I wanted to make it 21 for them. So I think there are different ages that we can choose uh, for those accounts. And so, for me anyway, or for the Gardner kids, uh, when they turn 21, they get theirs. So, again, more to, toward that goal orientation, more toward trying to make the best call for you and your family or your situation and not expecting a cookie-cutter answer from our talented panel. All right. So, if there are three chapters to this conversation, that's the end of Chapter 1. Chapter 1, getting newborns, getting Daniel's six-month-old, going on the, <laughs> the 529 plan, when kids don't even know what you're doing for them. And how do you get that started? And darn it, it's so busy, our lives, especially as young parents, having to do all the other things that this feels like yet another. But darn it, we hope you'll prioritize that because when you think backward from the future, this is one of the most important things you can do. It's good to send thank you notes for gifts, baby showers, these kinds of things. But I would suggest that this will stand the test of time in a more powerful way. So we hope with this podcast, you'll start to prioritize that if you weren't already before. All right, chapter two is... The child is 8, 10, 12. He or she can recognize now what you're doing. They're starting to learn about the world. How do we talk about investing money, maybe even business, 
with kids. Now, Daniel Maseka, um, we were chatting by Slack, which mm-hmm. is, by the way, not sponsoring this podcast. This podcast <laughs> is not brought to you by Slack. Because Slack, nobody would pay us for this podcast, this go-around. But we were chatting briefly on Slack before this episode, and you were mentioning a story of how you got started at the age of eight by a grandmother. Yeah, my first memory of investing was when I was eight years old, and my grandmother asked me a question. She said, if you could own any business in the world, which one would it be? And being eight years old and I wanted to rule everything, I thought of the largest (laughs) business I could think of, and that was Coca-Cola, a product I saw everywhere, every day. And so she bought shares of Coca-Cola for me and taught me what it meant to be a business owner and let me know that I was now actually a part owner of that company. And uh, I was very proud about that and learned how to look up the ticker symbol in the newspaper. I'd track what was going on, much like a kid would baseball statistics or something. Um, And, you know, went about my life feeling vested in that company. Uh, I remember. That's incredible. Yeah. What a a great gift. What a grandma. It really was. And and I think, you know, it was really important for her for me to understand what owning shares of stock were. Um, She did the same for my brother. He picked McDonald's. Uh, both turned out to be really good choices, by the way. Uh, and, um, you know, I was an investor ever since in an UGMA account. Uh, I invested money that eventually helped pay for my wedding and my house. Um, and, you know, I even remember as a kid, I, w- I went to Atlanta to the Coca Cola factory and thought it would be very important for them to know <laughs> that I was a shareholder. <laughs> I would get some special treatment. Love it. Um, but, you know, I think that really set me on the right trajectory. And uh, because of that, I knew what it meant to be an investor. So let's be analytical in a way that's almost unfair to a lovely story from one's childhood sure. full of nostalgia and prosperity. But let's be a little analytical, getting underneath that. What one, two, or three things was she doing that I can hear and then put into play in conversations I might have with an eight-year-old? So I think um, pride of ownership, so know what a stock mm. is, because a stock is a very you know conceptual thing, unless you know like you're owning a company, which at its core, that's that's what you're buying. Uh, the second issue is building passion and made sure I picked something that I was excited about. Um, and thankfully, it was publicly traded and, and she could <laughs> buy shares. Uh, and then got me engaged. So learning how to look it up, which is easier these days, was something I could continually do that made it a part of my of my life and made it a habit. Did anybody have a similar experience as a child themselves or a highly contrasting experience? <clears throat> I'll just say that I was not quite a child. I was more of a recent college grad, but I had a very similar experience, at least related to Coke, just hearing someone tell me, you can buy that Coke, drink it, and then throw it away, and then you have nothing to show for it. Mm-hmm. Or you can buy part of the company, mm-hmm. and 5, 10, 15 years down the road, it'll be worth more than you spent. So along that same vein, uh, a few years ago, I have a much younger brother-in-law, and he had a ton of video games, and it was his birthday. and for better or worse, I really didn't want to buy him another video game, uh, but felt it would be meaningful to buy him shares of Activision and thought, nice. you know, let's get him down the same track that I was. And I thought he probably wouldn't care about it at all, but he was actually very excited to see that he owned shares of Activision, which was putting out a lot of the games he was playing. And uh, I think it was the same thing. It's like he could have a game or this thing that he spends a lot of money on, he could be a part owner of that company and hopefully build some wealth. And I see a lot of heads nodding around this table because uh, we all feel that, I think. There's no better feeling, really, than feeling like every dollar you're throwing at a company, you're actually going to make even more than that back by owning its stock. And that's true of some of the great consumer companies of our time, and we just named some of them. 
Yeah, I've got a cabinet or a pantry full of McCormick, and it seems like every every uh, evening or dinner has some McCormick product involved. Jason, it just must make it. Do you sometimes just open the cabinet, just gaze? I look quietly. at it with this beam with pride. Yeah, and you won't admit it to anybody pride. else in your family. One but of my quietly. favorite businesses in the world, listeners of the Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money, know I'll talk about that company all day if I get the chance. It's been a great performer for Stock Advisor, it's, among other companies. It's a wonderful yeah. business. Yeah. Um, so, so it is that experience of the product or service that I think for a lot of kind of middle school age children, I think it's a very appropriate time to talk with kids about that. They know the world well enough. And so really what you're doing is you're hooking in this entire financial component to the world that they're otherwise seeing and you're letting them know, switching them on, you can be making money at this thing that you love as well. And one part of it might be showing them where that stock was 10 years ago whether it's Disney or Coca-Cola or McDonald's or Activision Blizzard. And another part of it is just making them more active observers of that company going forward. Beyond just the pride that Daniel mentioned, you also talked about your grandmother giving you an awareness and an interest. In fact, you you pushed it further, Daniel. You said that she taught you some about business. Mm -hmm. Um, Was she an entrepreneur herself and or that's such an important thing for us here at The Fool that it's not just about the markets. It's as much about the businesses themselves and connecting those things. Yes. So she is an entrepreneur. She ran an antique gallery back in South Africa where she's from. She runs a uh, real estate practice now. Wow. And I think think that, that probably imparted some entrepreneurial spirit in me that I, I still have today, um, was getting involved at such a young age with that kind of understanding and excitement. So, I guess just to stick with the chronology that we've been kind of shaping the narrative of the newborn to the middle child, I mean, one thing we, we hope our listeners are inspired to do is, is to start that account early. And that's kind of the nuts and bolts. That's blocking out the time, having the conversation with the financial representative, getting the account funded. But really, from that point on, It's as much about the conversations we have and the culture that you raise that child in. And I want to talk briefly about that. So, certainly, one thing that we all love here at The Motley Fool, you're not required to feel this way to be hired here, but I bet you just often do it automatically, is that you love business. You think, it's amazing that we have these trades, and you're good at this, and I'm good at this, so I'll buy from you, and you buy from me, and it's a much better world when I'm getting your best, and you're getting my best, and we're trading back and forth. So, it's it, there's a lot of positivity to that. There's a lot of optimism to thinking that the world will get better, which I, I think that it has in so many ways, of course, never, never perfectly, and sometimes worse in different contexts. But for the most part, look at a graph of the Dow Jones Industrial Average over the last century. It starts in the lower left, and it goes to the upper right. And that's our expectation over the next century. So, given that, I feel like we're talking a lot about the do's. Do this, do that. Does anybody have a don't that's on their mind? Uh, Something that didn't work for you, either as a young person growing up or with young people that you're associated with? I would say, I think... I have anecdotally heard stories of people say, like, my kid loved this company, so I bought that one stock, mm. and that one stock didn't do well. So their right. first GoPro, less- GoPro, exactly. Love the right. GoPro. Pets.com, right? Like, oh, the, my, my kids love pets, we'll get pets.com. It didn't work out. And that's, that's the wrong line. I mean, every kid should learn that stocks do go down, and some do just go out of business. So for my kids, what we've done is they're, they've been allowed to choose stocks, but we have also had index funds, both U.S., S&P 500, and international, so that they understand the ups and downs of just the overall stock market, as well as understanding the ups and downs of individual companies. 
And with an index fund, then you're able to get exposure to a bit more than, you know, maybe one share of Amazon if you can swing that. So not all of your eggs are in one basket. You have um, some exposure to, you know, maybe 500 companies if you're in a S&P index. Yes, I have to admit, um, there is a strong bias, not even an unconscious one on this podcast, about owning stocks and loving right. stocks. But certainly, I know, Naima and Daniel, you both in particular, every day are fielding questions and having conversations that are far more probably often about funds than about stocks themselves. Right, that's true. And, and earlier you asked about um, amounts, and I think that speaks directly to your goal for helping someone get started. Mm. So, if you were trying to teach a child about investing, you probably wouldn't want to give them access to everything you've been saving and tell them <laughs> to invest it. So, putting a smaller amount in maybe the individual stocks they're passionate about and the rest in something like an index fund or a a more widely diversified pool of stocks may make a lot of sense. Yeah, and I think framing it up from the very beginning so that expectations are realistic. I mean, we have uh, brokerage accounts for each daughter as well, where they are able to add individual stocks. I was wondering about framing, that, Jason, because you've mentioned about picking stocks with them, but then you were saying five twenty nine. So I was thinking, well, they they do have both actually. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's and great. that is uh, you know perhaps we can get into that uh, story as well, but. My main point being in framing the expectations from the very get go and saying, look, you're going to have this account, and you're going to have this portfolio, and you're going to own shares of 12 different companies. They're not all going to be winners. As a matter of fact, probably four of them are going to be losers. And, and that's just the name of the game. It's not about batting a thousand, right? It's about finding some great businesses, investing in a lot of different businesses, and, and chances are that the math will work out where you get some good winners. And when you get some really good winners, and they can just keep on going up and up and up, when really the downside is capped at zero for virtually any individual investment. Uh, so, I, I think framing the expectations appropriately from the very beginning helps, uh, particularly when they're kids and understanding what they're actually trying to do. Does this has it helped teaching them to be long-term investors? Because you know they may see that you know one of their stocks went down, so they want to get out. Or has it? Have you had those conversations of let's wait some time and see how it does over this period of time? It definitely does, and I think starting at that age, sort of this added benefit where. They're only so interested in it until they want to actually go play a video game or talk with their friends or something. So it's not like we're sitting at the dinner table every night talking about their portfolios. We'll probably check in maybe once a quarter and I say, hey, look, there's your Apple stock. You've owned that since 2013. It's up 150%. But oh, yeah, look, you got TripAdvisor there too. And, and that one's still down. But you know, you've got this big portfolio of 12 stocks now and it looks like you're doing okay. And then they kind of want to go off and do something else. So the benefit there is that at that age, they're only so interested in it. They don't want to talk about it all the time. And when it's when it's not something that's at the top of their mind, they're certainly not sitting there saying, "Oh man, I really probably ought to sell that TripAdvisor position because it's obviously a loser." And as time goes on, they do see the benefit of kind of ignoring it and letting it kind of take its course. And some of those losers can turn out to be winners after all. Now, uh, certainly one of the recurring themes. Uh, of this podcast is a love of games and games. I'm curious if anybody else had the experience I did, which is I, I first kind of got excited by the stock market, not by my parents, but by a fourth grade contest that Mr. Hoskinson at St. Albans School in Washington, D.C. ran for us, where we each were supposed to pick 10 stocks. We typed them in and kept up. It wasn't even that we typed them into a computer, because this is quite a long time ago, so it was more like a typewriter, maybe handwritten, but as much of the game was about looking in the newspaper for the stock quotes and writing them down and doing some math, so it was as much about math. But um, I did something that I, I think a lot of my fellow classmates did. 
I basically just went home, let my parents pick my stocks for me. <laughs> and as it turns out, my dad in particular distinguished himself. And I won the contest about three months later, which, by the way, we all know three months doesn't tell a lot, and that was incredibly lucky. But as a reward, I got this oversized, I can still see it, Hershey bar. I think it might have been with almonds. And it was like a great big, I mean, you know how you have like checks that are charity check, yeah. and it's a $25,000 check, and it's bigger than four people? Well, that's kind of how that candy bar looks to me today, years later. So so for I think for kids who enjoy games, at least for me, that, that was true of me. Gaming it up, making a little bit of a competition, maybe a family competition, or or just the math of it. I think that can also uh, speak to some kids. Well, if you recall, uh, speaking of gamifying it and sort of combining the gamifying and the media part of it, my daughters, not all that long ago, were part of a supernova exploration. Ah, yes, and, uh, Jason. And they, they helped participate in whittling down the four companies to one eventual winner, uh, which I believe that winner was Hasbro. My daughters were thrilled. They own shares themselves. Wonderful. Uh, and that really, I think, lit the fire in them. So even, even now, they are telling me that they want to intern here when they're old enough, and then they want to get a job here. Once they get out of so thank you, David. I think you've offered some financial security for generations to come. <laughs> you bet. I think you're doing a little bit more than I am for them in that regard. But thank you, Jason. I'm glad. And thank you for that reminder. And so, yeah, not everybody's going to have the opportunity the Moser girls have hanging out at Full HQ, but anybody can make it fun for a child. Anybody can game it up. Not everybody loves games, but if, if your kids do, then yes, there's things like fantasy football, and yes, there are fun mobile app games, but the stock market and following stocks and maybe having a competition with the cousins or the parents or a family thing or we're here at the start of a new year. Um, in a sense, every day is the start of the next 365 days. So you could kick off a little competition that might speak to a child. Before we go to chapter three, which is going to be twisting the arm of a high school or college grad to get them started, I wanted to ask just a little bit more about money. Because I think when a lot of people think about money and kids in middle school, they're not really thinking about the stock market or a 529 plan. They're thinking about allowances or like, <laughs> how to do money right or better with kids. So, any opinions from my talented panel about things that aren't investing but are money for middle school kids? So, I'm just going to say, uh, disclaimer, I do not have children. <laughs> um, but I think uh, one of the things I remember as a child in terms of allowance was I had um, a really good friend who her parents, they provided them with like a base allowance. And then they would get uh, different dollar increments depending on the chore. So you would get your 10 bucks a week. But if you decided that you wanted to mow the lawn, or if it was snowing, shovel their mm. you know long driveway and the stairs, then you got an extra $20. If you babysat, like if she babysat her younger siblings, she would get an extra $5 or however that played out. But then also teaching the value of uh, save, share, and spend. So utilizing that where it's an automatic, um, every time I receive an allowance, a portion of this, whether it's a dollar, two dollars, twenty cents, fifty cents, is going towards saving, going towards spending, and then also going towards sharing. If you want to teach uh, them to be philanthropic, so you know when I think about allowances, I think it's just about how incredibly lame I was as a parent Dude, and I, how inconsistent. You. Robert, you too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were so not best practice on allowances for kids. Like, we did it sometimes and not others. There was no earned component, which Naima, I think, spoke very well to. Uh, 
I still feel okay with how our kids have turned out. So I'm not sure it's all about having the right way to do allowances. But uh, I'll say this, Robert, um, you can be pretty bad at it and not do, I hope, permanent damage to children. I will, I will say I'm pretty <laughs> confident that the, the evidence is clear that whether a kid got an allowance or not did not have a huge impact on whether they were financially successful later in life. Okay. Because I looked that up. Chores are a different thing. <laughs> it is good for kids to be, do chores, but the allowance was not as important, which made me feel good because I was horrible at doing it, mostly being the kids would say, it's time for my allowance, and I didn't have the cash. That was the problem. Okay. Uh, we also weren't great at Tooth Fairy, for the record. We occasionally <laughs> like, Mom, Dad, the fairy didn't come. I was like, oh, wait, no, 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 honey, honey, honey. Look back underneath. Oh, it fell. Look over here on the floor it underneath fell in my the pocket. pillow. She's playing a game. Part of it is to try to find it. Um, and I also just want to say something before we move to chapter three, our final chapter, about matching. Because while I never did this, we have had some great stories. We've told them in some of our Motley Fool books of the past, true stories about usually kids with a lot of initiative who realized just like we talk about the power of corporate matching, like your company matching your 401k donation, children, we can match. Let's say your child saves a dollar. You know, you could say for every dollar, honey, that you save, your mother and I will give you one extra dollar. But some kids have an extra dose of initiative. And so the stories that we've told through our books are kids who said, you know, beyond just mom and dad, I have aunts and uncles who love me. I have grandparents who love me. I, I have mentors that might be proud of me if I got an A. And so there are stories of kids, for every dollar they save, all of a sudden 12 additional dollars are being triggered through conversations with family members. And then for every A that was earned, and then you can have huge amounts of money sometimes, well more than you would expect if you have a culture surrounding you that wants you to succeed at saving or doing well in school. So before we move on, I wanted to talk briefly about the power of matching. You hope your company or workplace does it for you as a professional. Darn it, you can do it. I would encourage us all to do that for younger people in our lives. If they do something well, give them an extra buck. Match. I, I agree. Now, I mean, I, I'll say that while we in concept have matched, we didn't really apply a formula or any sort of consistent philosophy to it. It was more, I'm kind of lazy and I don't really Yeah, the like Brokamp Gardner approach to allowances. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of lame, lazy, but you know, tooth well fairy, <laughs> Tooth fairy money or birthday money, uh, you know, part of that would be, you may have that to spend, but part of that we want to put into your brokerage account so that you can contribute to your investments and, and, and have some ownership there. And then, my wife and I would would help top that account off, so they could buy a few shares of a given company. So, yeah, we didn't we didn't really apply the formula dollar for dollar, but but the concept I think I think still still works. Well, in the in the story that I was thinking of, Jason, it was as much the child who she was just on fire with the idea of matching. <laughs> yeah. and started to realize in the most enterprising way that she could get all kinds of people, maybe like the the mailman. You know? <laughs> Everyone's contributing, matching what she was doing. So anyway. Some of these stories or ideas are going to make sense to some of us and not others. We're just trying to paint as much of the canvas as we can, knowing in the end that it's each person's individual unique portrait. Okay, well, we've been promising Chapter 3, so let's now advance to Chapter 3. And so now we're at the age, 
where you're getting somebody started investing. You weren't ready for them when they were newborn, and you may have had some of these conversations, but maybe you were part of the Gardner-Brokamp Alliance of Lame <laughs> Allowance approach. So, so, but here you are finally, and darn it, this this person has just graduated high school. They've got a diploma and a smile on their face, or maybe college, or maybe just a little bit after that. So we're talking about adults or near adults, and getting them started investing. And certainly that's true of many people hearing me today. And, you know, a few months hence, it's going to be graduation time all over again. We're going to, yes, the the winter will finally thaw and spring will spring anew. So let's talk about that stage of life and getting, in quotes, kids started investing. Daniel? So it's funny that you were talking about matching a moment ago, uh, because if you're the parent of a college-age student or a, a recent graduate, what I've actually seen most often is those are the people who you motivate through matching, because mm. they don't have money to invest themselves at that point, and they really don't want to siphon off funds when they need it for anything else. Uh, so I've seen a lot of parents trying to motivate them to put dollars in by matching dollars in those instances. Uh, when you know they might not have been brought up to save on their own. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. So, in, in addition to that first job that they're hoping to get after high school or college and have a matcher in their right. in their employer, uh, we could do that as parents or aunts and uncles or whoever we are. Right, and I do think it's important that you have, if they are starting a job, they just graduated from college, starting that job, you have that conversation about the four hundred one k. Yes, uh, you say, listen, that's one of the first things you should do. Most plans do have a match. You want to sign up as soon as possible. And the, the thing that I have told my kids over and over again is if you want to retire in your 60s, you've got to save 15% of your income as soon as you start working. And that includes the match. So here at The Fool, if you contribute 9%, The Fool matches 6 and you hit that 15 So I've kind of drummed it into their heads that as soon as they start working, they've got to save 15%. Sure, and even if you are unable to save the entire 15%, just because you may not want to discourage people who are um, unable to do that in the beginning, um, being able to get the match and get 100% of the match. So if they match 100% up to 6%, you want to get that 6%. So make sure you put in 6%, and then you'll be able to get some free money. Even to the point of helping them fill out the forms, because I think that's one of the big stumbling points with a lot of financial planning stuff, whether it's applying for life insurance or opening a brokerage. They look at these forms, and they don't even know how to answer some of the questions, like the beneficiary designation and stuff like that. Help them with the paperwork to get them over that Yeah, hurdle. I was wondering about that, Robert, because we talked earlier in the show, Chapter 1, about those different types of accounts you can start, and we gave you a few marching orders, I hope, to do that. Uh, what is it like when you've got an adult on the other end, let's say a 22-year-old? Can you fill it out for him or her? Or, darn it, should they be doing it at that age themselves by that point? But if it's intimidating, I mean, how do we march people into an office and get them to sign a form to get it, get it going? Well, I've been helping my oldest daughter, who's in her 20s, open up a Roth IRA. So I would say we, you do it together, right? So yeah. told her where I think she should do it, told her her investment options. I'm not going to tell her how to invest, but I, these are the investment options. Sent her the link. She's going to be at our house tomorrow night, and we're going to sort of seal the deal and make sure mm. she's taken care of it. And I'm sure you've written yourself in as the beneficiary designated. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's why you're in this process, right? <laughs> yeah, my sister uh, just recently got a new job, and we had a conversation about 
everything from picking her health insurance to um, deciding on the different, you know, if she's going to get life insurance through her employer. Will you come over to my house, Diane? <laughs> <laughs> not, just, not just her that would benefit from some of that thought from you. Yeah, so definitely doing that and then um, talking to her about the importance of, you know, using her 401k um, and she's also you know planning a wedding so being able to create that budget so that you can save for the wedding since that's going to be something coming soon but also being able to help uh, save for your retirement even though it's many years away for her. Naima, earlier today in Full HQ we had a full school, one of our full school sessions. Uh, we had some 22-ish year olds in there and we were speaking to them. You were there yes. because you're one of our heads of full school and Jason, you've done a lot for full, full school too. So I know that you're both experienced talking to well people of different ages, but Naima, what are one or two things that you said to the young men who came and visited us earlier today that would be applicable here to anybody listening? Sure. So the biggest thing that we talked about today is that anyone can be an investor. A lot of the times the myth is that you have to be someone who is older um, and knows a lot about money in order to invest, but you can be uh, someone who works in, you know, in any type of position. It doesn't have to be a position where you're making a million dollars a year, so uh, you know, six-figure amount a year. Mm -hmm. uh, we also talked about the three things that they can potentially do uh, today. So getting started as soon as possible is one of the biggest things outside of the three things. We talked about the three accounts that they can um, open and kind of an order of importance, mm -hmm. uh, with one being the employer uh, sponsored plan if their employer offers so that. So if they can only open one account, you would say that type of account first. That would be the one I would say first. Because yes. your employer is matching. Yes. You I heard you say free, free money. Free money. You want to get money. free money. Yeah. Who doesn't love free money? Uh, and then second, in if you're preparing for retirement, uh, which is Although it is very far away for people who are in their 20s, it still should be something that you keep on your mind because I know that I want my 70-year-old self to be able to enjoy her life uh, and also be able to help her children and grandchildren when she does decide to have them. Uh, so being able to use a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA uh, to save for retirement after your plan from your employer and then for shorter term goals, I like to use just a taxable account um, or, you know, for things that are going to be outside of the, the amount you can put in an IRA. I like to use a taxable account for that, too. That was my first uh, financial planning lesson was when I was 19 years old and got my first job in college, at least, was learning the power of the Roth IRA. Mm. Uh, my uncle made me read a book, uh, <laughs> Building Your Roth IRA Wealth. And it was really eye-opening about the power of compounding within an account like that. Uh, so that's when I opened my first account and started putting some some money on my own into a Roth IRA and investing there. And and I think the headline, and again, obviously at Fool.com and other resources too, you can read a lot more than we can cover in a given podcast. But I think the headliner there, Daniel and everybody, is that the Roth is often a great choice for the younger people, mm -hmm. the ones we're talking about right now in Chapter 3, because you're paying a tax up front on the money that you put in, which may sound like a bummer, because if you put in $1,000, you have to pay like $200 of it right up front. You're only getting to invest 800 But here's the good news. You let that money compound over a few decades, and there's no tax you pay on the other end. So the math works out wildly in our favor often if we go with the Roth IRA for young people. 
Yeah, right. I mean, I think it's probably worth considering having a little bit of everything, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved your approach there of, of a nice taxable brokerage account where you have the ability to sort of do some stuff with that money as you're living your life. I mean, I have the same, and it helps when we want to travel or go do something. And then I've got my retirement account here with The Fool, and that's a Roth 401k. And then I have a conventional IRA that is just all of the different jobs I had before where I rolled over the retirement savings that I had accrued from those jobs. So, you have a little bit of it all. I mean, it does make a difference because with those conventional IRAs, once you start taking that money out, and you eventually will have to, you're going to be taxed on those withdrawals. Whereas with that Roth, you're not going to be. So, it's nice to have a little bit of a diversification there, which is, of course, what we preach when it comes to stocks as well. And so many younger kids, especially if they're working in high school and college, they're not making enough money to even pay tax. They're making less than the standard deduction. So, you wouldn't be taxes, paying taxes anyhow. So, the Roth is a no-brainer in that situation. Mm. All right. Well, I feel like we're getting near the end of our conversation. This has been a lot of fun. More importantly, though, I hope it's been really helpful for you, our listener. And whether you're listening to this in January of 2019, when it was originally taped to start the new year, because what better way to start a new year if you're here around Full HQ than to have this conversation? Or maybe you're hearing this months or years later. I hope that this information and maybe beyond information perspective, maybe a little bit of wisdom here from The Motley Fool is helpful for you. So, let's close this way, team. Let's go with our final bit of advice. So, reflecting back on the conversation we've had, also, maybe if you think we've missed anything, uh, I don't want any listener to feel like, ah, they never talked about this or that then. So, so any final thought or suggestion? And let's, let's start with Naima. All right, I'm going to go with two. Uh, one, start today. Start today. Uh, And then the second thing that I didn't mention earlier, there is a great platform called Stockpile uh, that is really cool for gifting. Uh, So a you know grandparent, parent, aunt, uncle, you know that family instead of uh, maybe getting holiday gifts since we're just outside of that period, why don't you give them stock? You can buy gift cards from Stockpile from uh, denominations of $25 up to two grand, and that's pretty cool. And then they can go and invest um, even in fractional shares um, through their website. Uh, they also have ETFs. They're also not sponsoring this episode no. of Real Breaker <laughs> but Stockpile.com, as spelled as one would expect. Um, yeah, it's fun because you can give basically like a gift card, except mm-hmm. rather than get $25 off at Starbucks or Chipotle, you can actually get $25 toward ownership of Starbucks or Chipotle. And I think all of us around the table, I trust many of our listeners realize which is more valuable 10 years later. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And they do also offer custodial accounts as well. Wow. Well, that makes a lot of sense given their business model. Thank you, Naima. A delight to spend time with you this podcast. Daniel. Sure. So, I think uh, if I were to give advice for helping a kid get started investing, uh, my two things would be keep it simple. They don't care about Roth IRAs or custodial accounts. They don't need to know. Just do it. Uh, the other would be to make it fun. So, so make it engaging. Uh, make it something that they can relate to. Uh, and that way, you're building a passion instead of just something happening in the background. Robert. I will piggyback on what Naima said, and that is just to do it. Our biggest mistake was to try to find the perfect solution, the perfect investment, and we per- procrastinated too much. We funded accounts, and I had all, felt all this pressure about, oh, these are our kids' first investments. I want to make sure we get it right. And In the meantime, that money just sat in cash there for too long. So, don't worry if it's not perfect. Eat whatever investment you pick. It will teach a good lesson. Yeah, I mean, those are all really hard to top, so I'm going to kind of just try to ex- 
expand maybe a little bit. That's legit. I, I mean, I'm doing this idea thing. there. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually show we we do have a video component. I think right. Yes. For those watching on yeah, YouTube, we're on YouTube. When when we're talking about gifts, holiday seasons, birthdays, great time. I love stocks as a gift idea. You don't have to pick them up off the floor. They don't require <laughs> batteries. They're not gonna break. So hey, and it's as easy as just transferring from your account over to their account too. Love it. And, and you print out a nice little certificate there. See, that's what I'm giving my daughters this year. Mom and dad are giving them five shares of Square each. And they know Square because they see it everywhere we go. They realize that, oh, you're paying with Square. They see the Square stuff there. So, I think giving stocks as gifts is just an awesome idea. I love it. Uh, and, and you don't have to worry about that matching thing, David. You're just giving yeah, them all right. that money right up front. And, and then I think, to, to Daniel's point there, keep it fun. I mean, going back to the very lesson that introduced my daughters to it, and I've told this a million times, but it never gets old. Uh, it was just us going to lunch at a Panera one day. They were like five and six years old. And I told them that we happened to own a little piece of that restaurant, and they couldn't believe what I was telling them. <laughs> and of course, it was just through Panera shares ownership. Uh, but, but that's what got that discussion started, and it kept it fun. Uh, so from there, I mean, they see their portfolio and they see that as these are all the businesses that they're owners of, and, and these are the businesses that play into their lives in some way, shape, or form. And that keeps it fun. It keeps it interesting. Often people say last but not least, but I'm last. And I'm going to go with least because <laughs> I liked what you all said. So last and least, I'm going to say that a lot of what we've talked about is about touching off and getting somebody started, switching that person on, but. After that, the rest of the game is about staying in the game. So, if we've made any mistake with this podcast, we gave you some scaffolding, we gave you a a guide and a little bit of inspiration to get somebody started, but really, it's about staying in the game, it's about saving. That's the hardest thing to do in our world today. The reason most of the world isn't an investor today isn't because they trade in and out of the market. Some people do make that mistake, but really, much of the world isn't investing because they don't have capital yet, and that's because they haven't learned to save. And we've seen people in desperately poor circumstances be net savers, and it's always very inspirational to me and to us here at The Motley Fool. So I believe anybody can do it. You can do it. And you can do it on behalf of a younger person, as we're talking about here. But it's about saving, and then it's about adding and making a lifetime commitment to your financial future, or in this case, that of somebody else's, and making it clear to them that even if it's a bear market, even if 2018 didn't end well for the stock market, and who knows what the future, whenever you're hearing this, is who knows what it holds, except that I think it's going to be better, and especially if you give it time. All right. For Naima Barnes, for Daniel Maseka, for Robert Brokamp, and Jason Moser, I'm David Gardner, wishing you the very best at touching off positivity in somebody else's life, somebody younger than you, maybe more than one person, and getting him or her started investing. Fool on! As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.